Today, we're talking to Daniel Bartels. Daniel is the VP of APJ for Conga, and we explore how you can break open and take control of RFPs that you might have thought were close to you. Welcome to the Best of Sales Podcast. I'm Mark McGuinness. If you're like me and think that RFPs are all about the price or that the buyers have all the control and that they lock salespeople out of the process, then you really need to listen to this episode with Daniel. Dan tells us he's able to influence RFPs in around 50% of those situations where he has not been the lead supplier. And he's going to tell us how he does that. Before we jump into this episode, if you find this show helpful, please just share it with one other person. Our goal is to help as many sellers in APJ as possible to sell better, win more conversations, and win more deals. This particular episode is brought to you by Sales Development as a Service. It's a full-service outsourced SDR service you can easily plug into your business to get more meetings. If you need qualified B2B meetings without the hassle of finding, training, and managing SDRs or BDMs, give Sales Dev as a Service a try. Best of all, it has a simple pay-by-the-meeting model. Look them up on LinkedIn or go to sales-dev.com. That's sales-dev.com. Now let's hear what Daniel has to say about RFPs. Daniel Bartels, welcome to the Boss Podcast. Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. My pleasure, mate. Thanks for coming on. So pretty excited to have you on today. So we're going to be talking about uh, something that's really important to a lot of us out there that are trying to win business day to day. And that is, you know, this whole thing about, you know, RFPs. So these things I've found to be really challenging as as a salesperson and as a sales manager. I'm really keen to get your understanding on it. But just to give us some context, mate, you know, can you tell us a little about about Dan, a little bit about you know who you work for and, and why we should be listening to you in relation to RFPs. Yeah, for sure. Look, so I've spent sort of 25, 30 odd years in sales. Most recently, I spent sort of the last decade or so working in software as a service. So I was at Salesforce, I was at Financial Force, and most recently, I've joined Conga to head up the uh, APJ part of their business locally. So, so you know, I, I've, I've spent a huge part of my career dealing with the, the commercial B2B buying process. And RFPs are a constant aspect of, of how organizations uh, look to purchase and how they understand their own buying process. And, and navigating that and doing it successfully uh, is a critical part of, of, of sales success in software as a service. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I've always found RFPs to be, you know, a real pain to navigate. Absolutely. You know, my experience has been, if I didn't write it, you know, or if my team didn't have some input on writing it, then my feeling has always been that I'm just there to make up the numbers, right? And, you know, there's been occasions, and maybe you'll tell me that I'm wrong here, which is 100% okay, but, you know, where, where, you know, we've had an RFP land on our desk that we didn't know, you know, and first of all, I'm like, oh, my God, how do we not have that intel? And Mm -hmm. then, you know, that they were buying. And then you go, well, you know what, based on the activity that we've got right now, let's not even respond because by the time we invest the amount of time in it and we don't think we're a, a, a serious chance of, of being considered, we're better off chasing other ops. So Yeah, I think there's a, there's a look, there's a logic in that, but behind the scenes of that, and I, look, I had a, a manager who was at Salesforce that shared with me a context that said, look, one of the, one of the good bits about an RFP is you've got an organisation that, that has already had all the internal conversations around the fact that there is a problem here that needs a solution. And they're already in the mindset of doing something new that mm-hmm. they weren't doing before. You know, people don't go to market for an, don't put an RFP to market when it's the renewal time for their incumbent vendor. 
they're either looking and look, you know, the incumbent vendor will typically be part of the RFP set, but they're asking them to do something else. Right. They're asking them to sell the new version or, you know, come to us with a new proposal or expand the certain expand the offering, right? So I think there's an opportunity that any salesperson has to pick up an RFP and dissect it properly and understand, and this will be the key theme that, that I'll talk to you about today, understand what's the problem that needs to be better tomorrow in the customer's organization than what it is today. And I think that's the fundamental aspect of any, not just an RFP process, but any, any commercial buying process. In mm-hmm. fact, anyone's buying process. It's always about, you know, how does this make that individual, the organization or the, the stakeholder groups life better tomorrow than what it is today? Right. Okay. Well, that, but that just sounds like a, almost like a typical discovery call, you know, in something that like a- Yep. But once it gets to RFP, and I haven't done one for a long time because all of the yep. business that yep. I've done in the last 10 years as a sales yep. trainer is, by, you know, people just say, basically say, Mark, come and provide us with a with a quotation because we like what yep. you do. In two instances, yep. I've been in a competitive situation where they've given us two teams and whoever got the best result and was yep. like the best won, yep. won, won, won the contract. Won the business, yep. yeah. So I haven't been involved in RFP for 10 years. So you're, t- you're teaching me here, right? So yep. absolutely, you know, hit me over the head if I've got the wrong thing. No, that's but, okay. But I don't... My experience says that we, we we don't get a lot of opportunity to change once it's on paper. You know, isn't it just a matter of ticking the boxes and filling out the forms? I think this is the this is the common misconception of what the RFP process is and what it looks like. Right. Um, you know, RFPs are are written. Um, I mean, they're now called RFXs because a whole bunch of different organisations use different terminologies, whether it's proposal or request for information or something or other. Right. Yeah. So RFXs, right? But the fundamentals of, of the, the buying process doesn't actually change. The way that they're going to make a decision at the end of the day is always the same. It's, you know, as a salesperson, particularly in a commercial aspect, you're not in the room, you know, they're making decisions on who's the right partner, who do they get the best feeling from, who do they have, uh, you know, an, a, some sort of emotional connection with, who do they think can actually deliver on these things. Yep. So I think that the cha- exactly what you're calling out is the challenge here. The RFP process doesn't eliminate any of the other aspects of a sales process, and this is why organizations will exit them when they, when they don't think they can have the rest of that experience with the customer. Because remember, a good sales process is as much you as a, as a vendor interviewing the customer is, can I work with you? Do I want to sell to you? Can we, can we deliver on the, the expectations that you're going to hold us to? So I think that's part of where, where organizations exit early on. But Exactly what you're calling out, that tick sheet process, right, which is, you know, you've got this. And look, I've seen lists, I've seen RFP lists that are 16, 20 pages long. Yeah. No one's assessing. No no one realistically is assessing all of those tick points. And because on page 17.4, you said no, therefore, that's not what happens. It's not what happens on the back end. So they're pulling up all this information. They're still coming back to these these really basic fundamentals because it's how we think as humans. Hey, listen, within all these lists of things, what was really important? What are the really important pieces that we need and we know we need to have to do? And the challenge for you as someone answering this RFP is, you know, I've got no idea of these 20 pages of requirements. Yep. Which ones are actually real? Which ones are the nice-to-haves? And, you know, they'll <laughs> only put them in four or five buckets. <laughs> You're going, hold on, they're at, they're at 60% of them in the, in the must-have bucket. What are you talking? <laughs> they're not. They're not in the must-have bucket, right? So I think this is this is the opportunity for us as salespeople, which is um, to really partner with a customer and get behind that noise, and be really comfortable 
having that conversation you, you talked about before, which is I understand you're trying to get as many parties across this as possible or, or run a structured process to limit the involvement or limit the time investment from um, organization, people inside the organization. But getting, it, getting the customer to recognize at the end, and this is one of the pieces that I coach my team on, there are, there are three currencies that anybody makes any purchase with. Right. Dollars is the, is the key one, right? But the two most expensive are time and effort. And you've got to invest the time and effort at the beginning, and then you're going to invest the time and effort once you've made the purchase as well. It's not all going to be sitting with the vendor. It's just dollars and things, stuff pops out the other side. There's always going to be a time and effort investment. So for everyone to really understand that, there's got to be that two-way process. So you as a, as a, as a, a, a vendor have to be able to have those hard conversations with, with your potential customer and say, this is amazing information, but how do I fill that rest of that information so that you can be really confident on the dollars, time, and the effort you're actually going to need to invest? I really like this because I hadn't thought about it before like this. Like, you know, the, when I think about an RFP, I'm thinking about someone. So I, I'm, the last one I think, I'm trying to think of the last one I did, I think it was the Opera House, the Sydney Opera House um, for a data distribution yep. and uh, for the entertainment parts, you know, like in the in the behind the stages and everything like yes. that. And, and yep. it was, you know, 25 pages. And it really felt yep. like it was, if you want to do business with us, you know, these are the terms and, and, and what we need. I can't remember yep. whether we run it or not, yep. to be honest. Yep. But but what you're saying is, you know, we should actually just have, you know, enough confidence in our expertise to be able to reach out to whoever it is and, and tr- still have the ability to influence, and I mean that as in influence the buying decision, but also influence what we should be putting in there as, yeah. as the professional instead of seeing the RFP as a do it this way or don't do it at all, you know, my way or the highway. 100%. And I think this is one of the aspects that, that is broken in the R. And look, I've oh. talked to numerous customers and consultants about this as a process. I think it's really broken in the RFP concept. And people, you know, why does an RFP exist in the first place, right? Most often it exists because there are many, many conflicting requirements within an organization. They're trying to, rather than run five different processes and five purchasing processes and all then spend time, they're trying to lump it all into one idea. And they've gone internally and they've got the wish list from everybody. Now, the wish list can or can't be delivered with all the solutions in the marketplace. Quite often, there's stuff that just the solutions in the market don't even do yet or they don't do it that way. But if you, as a, as a vendor, are fundamentally focused on the customer first, then it's really easy to push back and say, hey, listen, I'm pushing back not because it's about how I want to sell. I'm pushing back because I, I want to understand that can we actually deliver the things that will make you better tomorrow than what you are today? And if we can't, I'll t- I'm, re- I'm even willing to tell you who, who could do it. And it might be one of my, one of my competitors. If you, if you step in with that frame of mind, pushing back on the process is all about them. It's got nothing to do about you. And they'll listen and they'll engage and they'll be willing to talk internally around, I know we've got these hard and fast rules, but this, this makes sense. We should talk to our vendors or potential vendors about these problems because I think there's value in us doing this. Yet, if you're pushing back purely because we don't want to run through your steps of documentation, et cetera, that, that, that's disingenuous. That's not about them. That's about you. But don't some of these, and again, it's been a while, but don't some yep. of these tender processes and these RFPs actually block you from communicating? Like once the tender's open? Some of them do. So how do you handle that? You have to be as honest and, and as, as I've just been there saying, listen, we can't answer the questions that you've got. And by the same token, we invite you to go to the other vendors with these same questions. We would like you to. We think there's a problem here. 
And when you're calling out, you think there's a problem, typically the customer's going to listen. Um, now, there are really only two types of RFPs where it has to be extremely stringent in terms of if you don't follow the process, you're out. Government's one of them. Government does form a bunch of different problems. But if you look at most government processes, the level of consultation that is forced to occur prior to the RFP coming out is actually quite significant. So you've got the opportunity to push back and say, we didn't get that level of consultation beforehand. And we think, you know, we're calling out now formally to you that you think, we think it needs to happen. And they'll actually open up the doors for that consultation piece. Now, from a commercial perspective, even for large listed organisations, their issue is about ensuring they spend their stakeholders' money well. Hmm. So, if you're again, if you're if you're focused on, look, we think that at the end of this, you're not going to get to a good answer for your stakeholder spend. They're, they're kind of obliged to listen to you because that's the process. And everybody else running through an RFP process, it's not hard and fast. And I think that's that's the big piece that jumps out to me, which I see all the time. For, for smaller organisations, they don't actually have a hard and fast RFP process. They're just trying to protect themselves from um, people making decisions without doing all the due diligence required. Yep. And they're trying to enforce their people to go through a concept of steps to, to ensure from a, you know, I've got 42 things we're going to buy this year. Has everybody done enough due diligence? If you follow these steps, tick, 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 tick. Yep. And if your head's not about I'm trying to get you not to do due diligence. If your if your conversation with them is, I'm trying to get you to do more due diligence. I'm trying to get you to do the right due diligence. Yeah, that's okay. So that's really interesting, and I think that you can I can see how that would open the door. When you first started saying that, I'm thinking that there is going to be some confirmation bias from the person who wrote the the RFP, right? So if yeah. if I write the RFP and I've got you telling me, hey Mark, you know, I don't think you've thought about this. I'm going to get my heckles up and say, well, you know, don't tell me what I don't know. But if you frame that in that mindset of, look, I think there's some, I want you to do more due diligence to make sure that you really are making the right decision, then it's really hard for me to knock out, okay, that's a good idea, you know. Absolutely. And, and it's, I give an analogy to my team all the time, and it's a little bit like, as a, as a vendor talking about RFPs, it's a little bit like, you know, going to the doctor. I'm feeling really sick and, and, and I, I think I've got cancer, but what I want you to do is write a tick sheet for me of all the things of, of all the things of, that are in there um, in order for me to compare the four doctors for me to pick one and what on the way can you give me a trial of the can you give me a trial of the treatment? So you go to you go to the expert and you understand and you bring to the expert the problem. I'm really not feeling well. And you know, can we go and do these tests? And at the end of the day, they give the option for three or four you know, ways you can deal with this problem. And I think too often, you know, why do buyers have this problem that they're trying to run through? Because, um, you know, we talk about um, a lot in sales at the moment, there are so many stakeholders in a buying process on mm. a B2B perspective. How do they manage that internally? And so when you're, how do they understand how to actually get to the end of a group decision process? Uh, that's hard internally. So they put these processes around it, but it doesn't, erase the fact that you as a vendor have got to understand their problem and you've actually got to be able to show them not just these are the you know these are the the green orange and red lines of what we can deliver in your list of requirements yep. going back up a level what's the actual problem that you've got and we solve this problem and we'll make your life better like Yes, underneath it, here's the detail. But fundamentally, we're going to shift your organisation. We're going to shift your stakeholder experience. We're going to shift your employee experience like this. 
And when those things are there, it becomes the RFP becomes a facilitation process rather than a decision making process. Yeah. Okay. So really, what you're saying is the RF. So I've looked at the RFP as like the the final step in the process. What you're saying is it's just the beginning. Um, I think it is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Interesting. So when when we see an RFP, the reason why I think businesses put out RFPs is is because they can document the process and remove risk from individual purchasing mistakes. So if I, you know, like say, let's say you take on the on the on the customer, you and I go out for a steak. Right, you know, so we, we spend two hundred bucks on steak, um, yep. you know, and then I go, you know what, I'll give you that two hundred fifty thousand dollars contract because you know Dan likes the same footy team that I do, and he bought me yep. a steak, right? Yep. And, yep. and and businesses are scared that that two hundred dollars steak and the you know the fact that you and I are, are both white men and yep. like the same football yep. team that, yep. that 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 purchasing decision may not be the best for those stakeholders that you mentioned before. Whereas if it's documented, even if I do end up buying you. From you, I can go, look, my hands are up, you know, like here's all the paperwork, the trail's there, you know, my hands are clean. And I, and I think and I think that concept is really key. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you an, an analogy back the other way, which I use with vendors all the time. You know, if everyone's got to eat food, right, and de- dependent upon the event of when you've got to eat food, am I, am I looking at buying, it's my anniversary dinner and I've got two options. I can take my wife to McDonald's. I can take my wife to, you know, the Cordon Bleu Chef. Just take money out of the equation. They're both offered to give it to me for free. But the impact of, okay, this is a great, it's you know, 10, 10 um, course degustation menu. It's going to be awesome. It's the best chef in the country versus McDonald's, which is um, done, you know, done, and, done and dusted in 15 minutes. Yep. Now, you would think looking at that, okay, what's going to deliver the best value back to me as the person purchasing? You'd say, of course, it's a court, it's a court on bleu chef, and that's what you must have except you haven't put in context the fact that I met my wife at McDonald's. And the thing that she's going to really feel value from is the fact that that's where we met. And and this is our anniversary and you've really cared about me because that's going to make her life better tomorrow than what it was today because I remembered all about her. Now, if I'm just looking at the tick boxes, which is about, hey, Here's all the features of what dinner looks like. She's going to have a great time at the Cordon Bleu Chef. She's going to have a great time. But it's not going to give the same experience to her, which is making her life better tomorrow than what it is today. So I think those are the pieces that we've got to get behind in RFPs. There are are very few truly commoditized purchases that we make. And we're not all selling grain. But even when you're buying grain, it's about supply and frequency and you know, do your trucks are your trucks the right size? And all these things that go into the delivery and the relationship between the two organizations are really part of that RFP process. Okay, I like what you're saying here. And RFPs are often been seen as a way to get the best price from suppliers, right? And I know yeah. Again, thinking back ten years when I did them, you know, I, I remember like writing down two hundred and forty grand, or maybe we can do it for two thirty-five. Maybe we can do it for yeah. you know, like it just keeps yeah. getting lower and lower yeah. and lower, right? Yeah. You know, and I go back to the yeah. boss. I haven't even submitted it, and I've gone back the third time for a discount. Yeah. You know, so it does work well on their side. But you're so so. How do we get out of this? Like, so if we can break Mark's mindset, like, how do we start these conversations? How how, how do we do it then? So I'm, I might be giving away some of my secret sauce, but I suppose that's the that's the point of that's the point of the podcast, right? Yeah, right. Um, one of the things I'll coach my team on, which is be willing to to tell a customer I'm not I'm not giving you the best price, irrespective of what their request is. And the reason I'm not giving that to you yet is because I don't yet know. Typically, we haven't had enough discussion. We haven't actually got to the aspect of what it is that they really need to buy yet. And if it was free, and again, this is an analogy I use with the team all the time. If it was free, 
but it doesn't do any of the things that makes your life better tomorrow than what it is today. I just gave the example of the the, the 10, 10 course ticket station menu that's free. Yep. But it doesn't make my life better tomorrow than what it is today. I'm not going to buy it. It doesn't matter what the price is. But if the McDonald's meal cost me $100 for a, a Big Mac and fries, but it made my wife's experience for anniversary amazing, I'll pay five. So I've highlighted, and, and you know, in a business context, typically the analogy that I'll give will be, but if it's if it's worth, it, but if it costs you a million dollars, but makes you a billion, you'll find the million dollars. Yeah. So in that concept, the money isn't the decision making. The decision making piece. It's the outcome and the value that comes from what it is that's going to make your life better tomorrow than what it is today. And if you don't know that, what are you discounting for? So, so how often are you, is this? RFP challenger mode, whatever you call it, like yep. it's successful. Like is it successful two times out of 10, eight times? Like what's your 50%, experience? 50% more. Okay. That, that's incredible. And where where it becomes most successful is um, the really pushing back on um, RFPs where you're not the lead vendor stepping into the process. As in you didn't write it, you were brought in late, and so you're brought in late. Why, why show a cheaper price? It's not necessary. <laughs> this is list. I'll tell you how much buying one one license costs or one unit. Yep. I don't know how many you're going to buy yet. You've said you're going to buy a thousand. Are you really? What frame? You know, what time frame are you going to buy it in? Oh, but we're only going to buy a hundred licenses now. But by the end of the contract, we might get to a thousand. But fine. Let's talk about all that when we get to that point of the conversation. But if it's not the lead option for you. Negotiate with with your lead vendor the, the best way you can, but be really confident in that. And it's not about you know diminishing your value; it's about not wasting their time. It's about being really honest with the customer or the prospect on the process that they're going through. And you know, so so typically in our RFPs, um, if you get it from us, you'll get it at list because it doesn't matter what the price is. And the the nice part about that is that it actually blows the process up. And they come back and go, hold on, everybody else is. A third your price. Yeah, we loved your approach. We loved the conversation we had with you. How I, I I can't put this in front of my boss. It looks like I made a mistake. No, you didn't. <laughs> this is the conversation you have with your boss. We will absolutely achieve a commercially viable solution for you if it's the commer- if it's the option that you should choose. But if it's not, what does the price matter? It doesn't matter. Yeah. So that's that, that, you know the two things here I've learned you know really are that it's it's not a race to the bottom like on price yeah. and, and that RFP is probably the start of the process not the end absolutely and, and thirdly if I'm the if I've helped write the RFP I really hope you're not on the end of the <laughs> <laughs> and look I think I think even if you've if, you, if you've helped write the RFP if you're if you're truly focused on a customer's outcomes and you're not the best solution that's okay because you you and and it's not about you know, you've got to win every single deal. No, you know, um, you know, being in SaaS, Salesforce is the lead CRM in the marketplace. They've got more customers than anybody else, and they've still only got a 30% market share. So seven out of every 10 companies don't use Salesforce, which means that there's either a better industry solution or a better scale solution or whatever the, whatever's happened to them is, is that balancing act. Mm. And understanding that it's about, get, you know, if the more often you get companies to make the best decision for them, the more business long-term you will actually have, the better your reputation will be, the referrals you'll get. I mean, we've got referrals from companies we didn't win. Right. And I okay. think that's really critical and really crucial. But but those ones where you're feeling like you're behind and you, and you are willing to push back because you put them in the center, it's a really easy conversation to sit with their leaders and say, 
this is why we're not ready to give you the best price or we're not ready to understand this because these are the four or five steps and this is not about us. This is all about you. That becomes a really simple, and you can and you can hand on heart say if, if, you, can, if you can't afford the time and money, to, the time and effort to invest in doing that, then we're probably not the right customer for you or the right vendor for you. Next, that's fine. It's okay. And as a salesperson, and that's the worst thing as a salesperson, right? Working, walking away from a deal where you think they're going to buy something here. Why can't they buy mine? Yeah. You know, if you've gone through that process and, and they are they still aren't willing to invest, it's a really easy process, and you sleep so well at night walking away saying they're not that that one wasn't for us. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot to be said understanding who not to do business with, isn't there? That's yeah, that's... absolutely. So uh, conscious of time, Daniel, you've yep. been you've been very generous. What's the one? If people think of remember one thing about you know the RFPs with Dan, what what, what should they remember? Look, I think that the fundamental piece is that that core question I posed right at the beginning. You've got an RFP. What is the thing that this this customer needs to do, this prospect needs to do that will make their life better or whatever the core of this RFP is about, better tomorrow than what it is today? If you can't answer that, you're not ready to answer the RFP. Right. Okay. And if you can't, and if you can't answer it, that's when you need to uh, need to push back and ask more questions. And it's cool. always going to be okay to ask more questions. Okay, Dan, I appreciate your time. Um, what's the best way if people want a bit more, Daniel? Where do they find you? How are they, they getting contact uh, look, with I'm you? On link, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Daniel Bartels on LinkedIn. Work for Conga. <laughs> Reach out. Happy to talk to anybody. Okay, mate. I really pre- thanks for coming on to the Boss Podcast and talking about RFPs. Good man. Thanks, Mark. 